Thanks to Crime Malt. This is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, founder of Australian Brews, and as ever, I'm joined by my good friend, confidant, and bloke that keeps me in line when he's not sitting on the fence, Pete Mitchum. News. Thanks, Matt. Um, like news. If you can just yeah, you said founder of Australian Brews. So I just added in the news now, and if Lockie can just oh, did I? yeah, cut and paste that back into the. I don't there know, you why, go. Why the tape back? Yes, straight. Okay, well, it, it just just shows I'm not phoning it in. You always, you know, you, you've made the comment several times that it sounds the same all the time. So. I'm convinced that you actually are now throwing in deliberately, um, you know, um, I don't know, rookie mistakes to see that just, just to see if I'm listening. No, not at all. That one uh, that's actually got me a little bit worried that. I'm so what distracted that I, can't, <laughs> that I can't even finish a three-word title without getting distracted. <laughs> there you wow. go. Who, well, who recently have I said, I love, and then forgotten to say you? <laughs> <sighs> well, What's mate, been happening? Um, oh, mate, a, a lot's been happening. You know, getting to the busy part of the year, um, lots of events coming up, really interesting Stuff, you know, the, the the sort of events that I think, uh, without speaking for you, uh, from when we've discussed, love doing the sort of get out the outreach events, the, um, you know, not stepping outside of the beer bubble and not talking about the latest, greatest, hoppiest uh, thing, but just encouraging people to think a little bit differently uh, about beer itself. So uh, I've got a lot of that heading out to Roma this weekend, which is six hours, six and a half hours northwest of Brisbane. Yeah, um, beef, uh, beef uh, country, beef and beer beef. matching, is it? Very much. Uh, no, it's, well, it's, they're having a food and fire festival and uh, we've got um, a celebrity chef on stage and I'm on stage with him talking beer and then just, uh, yeah, manning a little bit of a, a beer stand to, uh, yeah, give some uh, great beers to the people of Roma. Um, I was out there at the start of the year and it went very, very well and I've been looking forward to getting back and, uh, yeah, no, it, it's the sort of stuff that I love doing, you know, just sort of talking about, you know, just good beer. Um, and speaking of which, Prof, um, our, our new T-shirts. I, I put a sneak on a sneak pe- uh, preview on Beer Mat yesterday. Our new T-shirts have been ordered. Oh, excellent! Um, so I've I, I, I contacted now for for those who are listening. Pete and I caught up in August, as you know, um, when he was in Brisbane, and we were just having a bit of bit of a chat about some of the fads. But Prof, yeah, fads in in beer and passing uh, fashions, yeah. Yeah, passing passing fashions. I, I, I see. I like the subtle way you, uh, you 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 say that. You know, there's a bit of a backhand slap in that, but uh, that I've just drawn attention to. But anyway, um, yeah, we were talking about it. That you know, it's not malt water hops and yeast anymore. And so uh, the the new, I, I don't know if it's officially Australian Brews News T-shirt or it's just uh, us. Uh, it, it says hops, Brett. Uh, I've got to. No, that's uh, not the one. Have you changed it? Well, there there were two. Oh. Oh, there was hops, 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 and hype. Well, there was hops, 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 and hype, yeah. and then there was also uh, hops, Brett, gimmick, and novelty hype. and hype. Novel, novel, novelty and hype. That's right. So, uh, yeah. Um, so that was the one I went with. But I'm happy to get you a hype, hype, hype. No, sorry, hop, 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 and hype yeah. shirt if you Excellent. want. I, I did. Uh, they're, they're done in the style of the uh, stone and wood, malt wood, hops and yeast. And I did um, approach stone and wood just to make sure they had no issues um, with them. Well, so, that's what you do. You pick up the phone, and you just you, you have a polite conversation before you do something, and then um, I think that's the right way to go. Yeah. So I, I don't know if anyone shares our view that beer might be getting a little bit um, 
Oh, no, 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 actually, I wouldn't call it silly because there is a point to all of these beers and the excitement that, you know, the, the great experimentalism that we're going through now is, is fantastic for beer. It creates a lot of excitement. But you can't help but think, Prof, a little bit, some people take a little bit too seriously and think that it's all about the hype, um, and particularly when they dismiss great, you know, a, a great Pilsner as an approachable Pilsner when it's actually a great Pilsner. Not everything has to be barrel-aged and... It doesn't you know, have to be ab- ab- adjective, ab- adjectivized. No, it, it, actually, that's the thing that surprised me when we did spend a little bit of time together is that we, you know, we both went to the sort of some of the classics when we were just sort of sitting and having a chat. You know, there, there wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, e- e- extremism going on when we sat down. Maybe that's just because we're boring and old. Who knows? I oh, know, but I think the fact that we can poke a little bit of fun at, um, at, at perhaps some of the, you bring a bit of reality back to to some areas of beer if we can't do it who can yeah but if anyone does uh feel it a little bit the same way or just likes having a little bit of a wry smile at the uh the the, the craft beer industry um we might even sell the shirts so uh have a look at them on the website and see what you think and uh, right. if there's enough interest we You've might read get the website it. you've heard the podcast now wear the t-shirt and <laughs> wear the t-shirt well yeah the contrarian t-shirt <laughs> i'm thinking i'm of opening a bar prof and calling it the contrarian yeah, yeah. It yeah, needs to yeah. be objectivised, though. You need to have, it needs to be the thoughtful contrarian or the wistful contrarian or something like that. Yeah. The cranky contrarian? The cranky contrarian. The tautological contrarian. Contrarian's automatically cranky. Is that what you're saying? Generally, yeah. I can be a happy contrarian. I'm, I'm often a very happy contrarian. You're happy to be contrarian. That's a different thing, Matt. <laughs> okay. Okay. Fair enough. Syntax. Yeah. Anyway. But it, it, it's nice to see that we're not the only ones who, you know, maybe think that everyone should dial it back a notch. And there was actually a great article written um, this week uh, that I shared this morning. Uh, we need to dial it back a notch by um, Jeff uh, Allworth, who's a fantastic beer writer. Well, actually, one of my, one of my favourite beer writers. Um, he does seem to have a bit of, uh, you know, uh, not a jaundiced view, but he, he certainly takes a wry you know, look at a lot of the world of beer. But it, it, he was discussing the Lagunitas takeover by Heineken, um, or partial uh, sale to 50, Heineken, yeah, 50%. 50%. Um, and uh, the, the wailing and gnashing of teeth, much of, you know, which has included um, comments on, on our website. Um, there was one this morning, no more Lagunitas for me, such a shame. Please, no more selling out. Someone, someone's going to be a thirsty boy, Matt, in about 10 years' time. Well, yeah, yeah, and you know, I, I think people. This is, this is the way. Of the, well, I think this is the way of the of the beer world. I, I just don't think there are enough, um, you know, beer drinkers of that ilk. Uh, of that, you know, that there's a lot of beer around at the moment, and there's just not enough people to drink it. So I think we've got to look at, um, and beer is very labour intensive. It costs a lot of money to not just to produce beer, but it costs a lot of money to produce more beer. In terms of hiring staff, because at the end of the day, beer is still very much a. And Sam Calagione from uh, Doppy Shed in, in uh, one of his books did a whole chapter on just how expensive it is to um, to produce beer and then to produce more beer, just in terms of how how labour intensive it is. So um, I don't think this is going to be the last. No, and you know we are going. I mean, for there's a lot of discussion about a beer bubble. I mean, bubbles can take many forms, whether there are too many breweries or whatever. You know, I, I think 
business goes through a cycle. And I, I compare what we're seeing now um, to, you know, coffee machines. I don't know if you remember, I mean, in Brisbane, where I am five years, six years ago, people were you know, buying the twelve, fifteen, two thousand dollar um uh, twelve thousand, you know, twelve hundred, fifteen hundred, two thousand dollar um, coffee machines. You know, that were putting on their benches because you know they were into that coffee. They want to make great coffee. They wanted to entertain their guests with great coffee. Problem with a two thousand dollar coffee machine is it takes up a lot of your bench space. You know, which is one thing. And secondly, you need to turn it on forty five minutes before you make your first cup of coffee in the morning. So it's you know. You also want to, you also want to find a, a decent roaster in Brisbane who can provide good beans worthy of going into a two thousand dollar machine. And you need to drive across town to get them, and you know, and Carbon then footprint. Well, yeah, no, not 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 even. It's just convenience, convenience, and, <laughs> convenience and price, and you know, suddenly then you realise that well, your two thousand dollar machine with the best beans and all the effort you've gone to still makes shit coffee okay. if you don't know how to use it, and you know, then you need to get the service guy out, you know, clean it regularly, or, yeah, exactly. clean it regularly, and, 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 the and, whole and thing, you know what, that, the coffee in the tin didn't taste that bad after that bad all. When, when you look at all that I had to go through, and that's you know, at the moment, everyone's getting very excited about craft beer, um, and flavors and experimentalism, and they're willing to drive you know, right across town, um, you know, to, to find a bottle shop that's got the latest, you know, import, and not and to drink it, but to not miss out. To not miss out, exactly. And once that enthusiasm goes, you know, I, I, you know, are you going to pay $22 a bottle for an IPA when, you know, the little creatures one isn't that bad? Um, that, that's like, why are people drinking Loganitis IPA? As good a beer as that is, and when you're over there, it is a thing of beauty, joy forever. But I don't drink it over here Ooh. because I just think there are, there are, there are better. Well, well there, there is that, but there's, you know, that's probably a whole... Other um, soapbox or can of worms, or should I? Hey, listen, the other thing too, uh, Heineken. If I'm not um, terribly and 100 percentedly mistaken, is still family owned, isn't it? I know it's the second largest brewery in the world in in terms of its 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 total volume. It may actually be. You, it may can't, actually... you can't find Heineken on the stock market on the stock no. exchange. Like I'm pretty sure it's still, uh, you know, obviously. It, 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 is, it is very big, but I'm pretty sure it's still a family brewery. I think you might be right, but they well, are least, pretty... Sorry, at least in, it, it, it's like it's not owned by anyone else. It's not, you know what I mean? Mm. It's not a consolidated yeah. company or a conglomeration or, you know, I don't know. I know I know for a fact that uh, Bavaria, which is the brewery in uh, the Netherlands, is Europe's largest family-owned independent brewery. So I don't know whether Heineken then is family owned but i also don't think i, I think it's different into to, you know ab inbev slash whatever else they've added on this month or next do you know what i mean i, I, I do not mean it. Look into that because i'm not a i'm not a business person kind of you know i'm just uh while you while you're talking um it's the third largest brewer in the world after and I was, now this is wikipedia so uh based on volume Heineken Dutch breweries are located the original uh, is preserved museum well, called Heineken. The second largest. That's according to um, CNBC. With the part acquisition of Scottish and Newcastle, Heineken is now the third largest uh, brewer based on revenue. Again, this is Wikipedia. Oh, okay, revenue. Okay, um, so I've got it by consolidated volume. Okay. So anyway. Uh, but, but anyway, yeah, look, and, and that's a good point. You know, people talk about independence, you know, that they it comes back to me that there is a whole lot of politics involved in our in our choices. And whilst you know, beer geeks love to say they only buy it purely um, for the flavour, you know, 
if you're going to say, oh, you know, Lagunitas is now owned by Heineken, I'm not going to drink it anymore, you're just simply not drinking it just for the flavour because you haven't even given the, you know, change um, time to happen. You're just making a political yeah. choice. And and that's cool as well. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but I, I let me put this it, to our listeners and to you, Matt, and see what you, you know, the, if this passes the front bar test. If uh, there's a little brewery that's about to open up in two or three years' time and, and in six years' time it becomes the golden child and everyone loves it and they're doing great things and they're doing charity work and they're, um, they're you know, great in the community and that sort of thing. But then all of a sudden, you know, for whatever reason, they fall on hard times and then, say, Stone and Wood um, buys them in order to keep it going. Do we then say, oh, I'm not going to buy Stone and Wood anymore because they've acquired a brewery? Like, at what point... And I'm just using that as just a, a completely 100% made-up example, but is that is that um, Heineken Lagunitis on a larger scale? Mm, well, or is that completely I, I different, that. or do I have to pick and choose my uh, ideological battles? No, well, exactly, and it, it's it's trying to find consistency in 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 the thought process, and you know, I, I guess you know, as we keep saying, you know, we should just change this podcast to Fifty Shades of Grey, um, or you know, however many shades, because there are continuums. We keep talking about there are continuums, and it's you know, everyone makes their own choice as to at what stage. But, you know, if you do like small and you do like independent, um, you know, that that's great. Um, but then it's not just about the beer. There's a whole lot of um, decisions. Actually, I had an interesting... I was interviewed yesterday, Prof, similar but same, same but different, um, for Australian Hotelier magazine. Um, and it, it actually came through to somebody who thought they were contacting you, I think, but then I was good enough in the end. Um, to cut my grass. Yeah, no, go on. Oh, no, 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 no. Well, he, he, he edited, he contacted the editor of Australian Brewers News and thought that you were the editor of Australian Brewers News. So I uh, don't so know how that happened. to be me. No, no, I told <laughs> him that I wasn't you. I said, I can give you Pete's. And he said, no, you'll do. So I'm, I'm the poor man's Pete Mitchum. But anyway, that's... And I've uh, just checked, by the way, Wikipedia, <laughs> according to Wikipedia... Uh, Fifty Shades of Grey has yeah, it's already been taken, so you have to think of something else as an alternative. <laughs> so go on. What was the uh, interview? Um, and, and it was just about heritage brands. Did I speak well? You, you well, no, you tended to ramble a little bit, as as, as you are wont to do. Oh, geez, I've got to stop that. <laughs> but it was it was a discussion about heritage brands and the whole idea of you know heritage brands, and you know my point was essentially original you know, type. Heritage yeah, brands, yeah, like you know, Reshes, um, or you know, bringing out you know, um, you know, uh, Brisbane Bitter, or you know, some of the old defunct Belinda beer brands, Belinda Goldtop, that those sorts of things. When it's, yeah, they always love to say that it's made in you know, following the traditions of the original one, you yes, know, because in that it's a beer and it's in a can, but it, it bears no resemblance to the original recipe or thought behind it whatsoever. Exactly, and you know, Pete. But yet, we had that interview um, on, on the podcast a couple of uh, two or three months ago with the sommelier who goes by the Twitter handle, you know, at Reshes because he loves Reshes so much. And he was the Sydney Sommelier of the Year, and he was talking about you know how wonderful it is that there's this. Yeah, you know, he likes this story of this you know this, this heritage brand that's only available in certain parts of Sydney. And you know, he was a little bit surprised when I told him, well, you know. It's made by CUB, um, and CUB doesn't have a Sydney brewing operation. So you know, <laughs> how great is it Can that you know? Yatala? Well, yeah, or, or or Abbotsford, but you know, on, on one hand, he can sort of you know fall in love with the brand because of these things that have nothing to do with the beer. That are all about the marketing and the heritage and the you know wanting to be a little bit different. Um, but it's got nothing to do with the beer. And he and this is a guy who is a full time professional sommelier and you know who's very good. You know, 
top of his game. Mm. But you know, even being a top sommelier doesn't remove you from being subject to you know fatism or you know contrarianism and you know. No, ju- that's right. And it, apparently, it, too, just just for the the listeners not, might be interested to know a little uh, fact of the day is that um, the word sommelier um, derives from an old word uh, basically meaning um, you know um, donkey. So, like, as in, like a cargo animal. Do I so need just, fact it's just a just a wine fetcher? Just you know. Just go and fetch my wine, donkey. <laughs> really? Yeah. I'm, no, I'm, do, I'm, do you think I just make these things up? Yes. Yes, I'm, I am starting uh, to. We're going to have to start doing our Skyping with um, with video so you can see that I'm not crossing my fingers or giggling under my breath or, you know, that I'm keeping a straight face when I say these things. Look it up, folks. I'll give, give a, a, I don't know, a T-shirt away to anyone who can help me out here and the word sommelier has come to us by way of an interesting etymological journey. Uh, sommelier is an old French is old French for pack animal and watched over go. by a sommelier, which is obviously the Japanese sommelier. Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> casual racism brought to you by Australian Brews News. Sorry, that's not that's not racist. It, it, it wasn't attributing a. Oh, miss uh, sorry. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> That, 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 that wasn't. You're not allowed to just black up anymore and do you know black and white minstrels. <laughs> no, oh, it's, it's it's a heritage brand. Apparently, it upsets people. All right, anyway, look before we lose our entire listenership, I think we've offended most people. We have. We're going to have a crack at Sheila's next. Fruit beers. Get I'm some, some fruit myself, beers into your girls. I'm myself about that against that. Um, anyway, we'll, we'll we'll have a podcast about it. Anyway, it does mean uh, responsibility included animals and their cargo. There you go. So just uh, wine Sumelia, and the meaning slightly shifted. A Sumelia, Middle French word, was responsible for transporting supplies. The spelling and meaning slightly shifted again. A Sumelia is someone in charge of a specific type of cargo. Now this term refuse, refers exclusively to beverages and sometimes cigars. There you go, Prof. You are just a font. I'll take that as an apology. That's all right. Let's, <laughs> let's move on. Um, where were we going with that? So we've that done Leganitis. Just... Uh, tick that one. Leganitis. Uh, I'll, also, I'll speak to Foxy too. Um, uh, Foxy. Justin Fox over at, uh, at, at Colonial because we probably should have given him a call too because they also did a piss take um, T-shirt. Although we weren't ripping off their concept and font. Oh, what was like this? Where we're staying in wood. What um, was it? Uh, water, malt, hops, yeast, marketing, um, warm, mashed, cool, fermented, blah, 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 from a place you can actually visit, and it's super-duper dry. I'm, I'm paraphrasing there, but I'm just trying to okay. picture the T-shirt, which is in second drawer on the right. Okay. So, well, you know, I'm actually going to be wearing a beer T-shirt now. Prof, assuming yeah, your yeah. T-shirt. Under, underneath your green beacon hoodie. Hoodie, which has you claim not to have. No, All right. Anyway, who's our guest today? Or have we got other stuff to do first? We don't need a stinking guest. <laughs> I think we're doing pretty well. Fortunately, we do have a stinking guest. Let's throw to him now. Ben Coymans, uh, who's one of the three founders of the Endeavour, um, uh, I was going to say brewery, but in, in Endeavour brand, um, makers of vintage beer. Um, had a sort of, yeah, long, long five, they've just recently celebrated five years, um, which is uh, good on them. Um, five vintage mate, years, I think they prefer to be called, Matt. Okay, 
I'll, I'll let you do the interview then, Prof. But uh, no, it's five that they're five years old um, because they brew more than once uh, in a year. So um, it would only be vintage if they brewed once. All right, sure. Surely. All right, well, the but silver it, anniversary then. So is it this celebrating years? 25 wine years in the beer in, uh, business? Well done, Endeavour. Is that how it goes? Was it like dog years? You can do five five brews in the year, and they've been going five years. Is that like wine years? Well, I didn't say it was five brews. It could be more. It could be fewer. It's. Well, why did you say five then? The five years. Okay. I'll have to listen. But, back. They, but they brew, they they brew several well. times a year. Okay. Yeah, okay. I might, Maybe I did. Okay. But anyway, I, I started by... But this is the, the, a bit of niggle um, no, not in this show. Okay. But I'll, um, I'll, I'll offer um, uh, a case of... A, a pallet of beer for, uh, for anyone who spots the, uh, the question that I get to ask Ben. Really? Uh, okay. Well, I asked Ben. The first question is, what's the Endeavour story? Officially, we're fire. I just turned five. Um, but it all started... Back in around 2007, a bit of an idea after a, a crappy week in the wine industry, dealing with a big customer and really felt like a beer at the at the office bar and got talking to a colleague about beer and um, how the, you know, there was some interesting beers starting to come, uh, you know, become available in retail, uh, not so much on tap just yet, and sort of starting to see the first little creatures taps, I think, about then, so... Yeah, we uh, having been in the wine game for a while. We talked about vintage to vintage variation and beers like Cooper's Vintage and First Harvest, and really loved that, that what those beers were doing. And thought that um, you know we didn't want to particularly uh, go after that platform that those guys use. Uh, I think Cooper's Vintage back then wasn't really uh, in terms of harvest dating. It was all about different recipes each year and high ABVs for aging. Um, so yeah, we started uh, Waxing Lyrical and that put the wheels in motion for three years of thinking about it, sitting on it, thinking about it, sitting on it. And then uh, early 2010, I had an opportunity to do a, basically a business plan uh, because of some study I was doing and a, an assignment I had to do, which was perfect uh, excuse to do a business plan for a beer company. So we kicked off in August 2010 with um, some orders from a um, first choice. And, uh, yeah, it's been a whirlwind five years since then. So tell us, I mean, it's not really a conversation about contract brewing, but you, you uh, sort of went down the contract brewing uh, route. Um, what was, before you even, uh, you know, went into bottle, um, what was your, uh, you know, business plan? You know, did, did you have those, because you'd, you'd mentioned that you're in the wine industry, did you have those, um, you know, wine, ind- you know, the retailing connections and you sort of said this is our plan this is what we're going to do are you interested in buying our beer or did you make the beer and then think shit how are we going to sell this no it was more the uh find a customer then make the beer so um having you know worked on some big big brand launches in the liquor game and and seeing what happens when a customer doesn't order as promised or as thought or as forecasted um it was really we did you know Andy, Dan and I were all homebrewers and we used to tinker around in our own sheds and in each other's sheds and uh, we produced, you know, some beers that we loved um, and it was about going to see customers. We wanted to um, not follow, I guess, what's a traditional route for craft brewers and 
draw a few kegs, try and get a couple of taps and go from there. We we probably uh, went you know, a bit further than that and wanted to really uh, make a mark um, and, yeah, using some connections, as you said. So I put a couple of calls in and asked if I could get 15 minutes with some busy buyers, which I didn't have those connections. I had sort of uh, other management connections in the big retailers and, and got the 15 minutes and gave them some some hand-labelled samples, et cetera, and it went from there. Where was, what was the background to the um, you know, vintage? Did because it was something that uh, you know wine is very much about the vintage, about the the, the, the season to season, uh, you know grapes and uh, you know what the weather's been like, and you know when you speak to a lot of uh, you know wine got you know wine experts, um, they speak lovingly about um, you know it's the sun-kissed fruit um, you know expressed in a bottle and all that wonderful you know. Um, you know, flowery uh, language. Um, beer has never had that um, same level of uh, you know harvest mindset or um, sense of terroir. Um, what was what was your thinking in you know did you did you see that as a marketing angle or did you see that you know there was a way to capture those season to season variations um, in the beer uh, you know of the malt water hops and yeast? Yeah, correct. So it was really born by the my intrigue around uh, barley and hop farming and yeah and I thought that born an opportunity you know under marketing I guess you call it so um, you know you see some weird and wacky beers out there that are fantastic ideas and fantastic passions by certain brewers or non-brewers and um, you know either it's a passion and it's you know, tough to crack the marketing angle or vice versa and I think Vintage and harvest is obviously a tough angle to crack in beer. Uh, we've been trying for five years and we're getting somewhere, um, but it's never going to be 50% of the market or anything crazy like that. Uh, it was just born by uh, our viticultural passion and spending time in vineyards with grape growers and really hearing their stories and how you could tell those stories through to a glass in a wine game. And then we saw, as I said, Cascade First Harvest, I think, attempting that and doing quite well off it. Um, and I thought there was room for more than one sort of harvest the year out there so um, that's just about the first time I've ever heard I've got a great love for the Cascade First Harvest but it's the first time I've heard anyone say that it, it, it was done well um, or it was succeeding uh, as a beer even CUB doesn't seem to you know it's a little bit of a red-headed stepchild they uh... <laughs> it sure is I mean I you know yeah the, beer, the beers year on year were um, different and I didn't like some and I liked others and I, yeah, as I said, it probably wasn't going to set the world on fire, but I thought there was room for more than one. Um, and you saw people like Crown Ambassador come out, uh, albeit at 90 bucks a bottle or, or something like that. And then I looked you know, globally as well, and you have you know, Sierra Nevada, um, we're doing an estate ale, and there was, uh, you know, Fuller's doing a vintage ale, etc. So I thought there was an opportunity in Australia uh, just to get some beers that we loved the story behind and trying to tell that to consumers because I thought, in the beer industry, and like commercial wine, uh, there's not a lot of storytelling. It's more about price, super consistency, um, and then they tack onto various marketing platforms that try and help them sell more and more beer. And you know, you look at brands that associate themselves to V8 supercars or beach cricket and whatever, uh, and that's great. And you know, that is very successful marketing. But we thought there was more uh, to go beyond the brewery and, and get into the fields. And you know, sort of interest your article. On the CUB, brewers for the first time going into a barley field, and you know, it's just awesome. 
Doesn't a lot of that go back to the historical development of you know wine and beer, whereas wine was something that you know uh, going back six seven thousand years ago you could only make when you had fresh grapes because we didn't have the technology to you know store grapes or store juice and make it throughout the year. So wine has always been a very seasonal. It's almost ingrained in what the product is. Whereas beer, um, you know, there's a line of thinking about history that beer is the reason that we became civilized or started to live in you know cities. Uh, you know, seven eight thousand years ago because once we realized that you could harvest the grain you could store it throughout the year and make beer um, throughout the year and there's always been those fundamental differences between beer and wine um, that you know are, are reflected in our perceptions of them and the way that we uh, regard them um, are we now trying to swim against the tide and have beer seen as something that is um, you know, much more akin to wine Oh yeah, I think yeah, definitely. Um, we have been swimming against the tide for five years, and the guys, that, you know, the Cascade brand manager back in the time, and the brewers down there were probably trying to swim against the even harder tide when they started. Cooper's Vintage, I think, was a slightly different angle and was embraced warmly. I can remember how scarce Cooper's Vintage cases got upon release, and you know, people were spending seventy bucks a case uh, ten years ago and, and scratching and storing it, which is just fantastic. So, yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, we're definitely, as I said, as you said, we're definitely swimming against the tide, and we will continue to. Um, and I, you know, I never think that this will take a decent chunk of share off what I guess uh, are consistent beers. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll give it a crack. And yeah, as you said, some of that history, uh, people don't know much about brewing and, and the history, and they just certainly don't know much beyond their repertoires of brands. And okay, Castlemaine's from Queensland, and. CUBs from Victoria originally, and, and you know, obviously, Tui's are now starting to tell more historical stories, which is, I think, fantastic. So, um, I don't think that there's uh, a wrong way of uh, perhaps promoting beer if, you, if you're telling truths. It's um, the untruth that sort of muddy the work, uh, waters, that's for sure. But yeah, it's a, it's a, I think it's a changing game. Um, ultimately, I think consumers want to know more about what they're ingesting. Um, and you see some macro trends around, you know, organics and gluten-free, et cetera, et cetera, and that's in the, mostly in the food game. But I think they want to know more about what they're ingesting, who it's from, where it's from, and who made it. With um, a, a beer such as yours, uh, you know, malt is obviously very important. We've, we've talked in the past about, you know, how, how you sort of source your malt, but hops are a big part of craft beer at the moment. You know, hop, uh, hop, most beers are sort of, primarily about hops. That might be a little bit of an overgeneralisation, but hops are such a big thing. There's been quite a bit of chat um, in social media um, about this whole idea of vintaging and cellaring beers that are hop-driven because you know, hops are, hop characters are some of the first characters to um, dissipate from a beer or you know, the, they, they are very volatile and they don't last the ageing process very well. Do you when you first launched five years ago, you did talk about laying beers down for two or three years. Is that still something you hold to, or you know, um, is, is that something that you've backed away from? No, no, um, it's particularly relevant to our reserve range, and they were the first two beers we launched, um, being the reserve pale and the reserve amber. Um, reserve amber definitely is a little age worthy. In fact, I had a bottle of our 2010 just two days ago with a customer. And we pulled that into a nice glass, and it was still holding up, still carbonated. Um, and our reserve pale, uh, we liken to Riesling. Uh, you know, if you love a fresh, zingy Riesling, and which I do, 
uh, you'll definitely want to drink it fresh and within uh, as short a time as possible after bottling, having giving it a little bit of time for bottle conditioning. But I think if you like an aged Riesling, which is giving some, you know, those, those aged, people say kerosene, which wine makers hate, but some, <laughs> of those, some of those aged characters are yeah. Riesling. Oh, but you I'll can have cat's happy. pee and petrol in, depending Correct. on the hops that are used, so. Yeah. And uh, I'll just happily drink a bottle of our 2013 Reserve Pale at the moment, which is quite malty, still got a little bit of sweetness. The bitterness is still there, albeit not at the level it was. Um, and, yeah, the, the hop aromatics are certainly dissipated, that's for sure. So um, I wouldn't, you know, in the current consumer mindset, especially amongst the craft world, it's all about big upfront hop characters. And, yeah, I think our Reserve Pale, you know, we've just bottled the first batch of 2015, and we that's the first beer we've, late hopped in our core range so that will have us some certainly some upfront hop characters but i'll still be interested in seeing how it drinks in a year or two's time uh but then going back to the reserve amber it's definitely a beer that you know andy our is a self-confessed malt junkie he loves hops and he loves going down to hpa and speaking to simon and oj and tim about what's happening down there and you know we went down there before you know we could put it on instagram uh every time we went down we just went down to chew the fat with those guys so it was a fantastic um, eye-opener for us that there is a lot going down in the, the nursery gardens of these hop growers. But our amber, as I said, is probably, yeah, a little bit age-worthy. Oh, I mean, again, it's like a pinot. People like fresh, crunchy pinot or they like aged burgundy. So we're trying not to be too full-on about telling people how and when to drink our beers. It's just an option for them. And uh, if they like fresh, zingy, pale ale, great. If they like age a little bit aged amber ale, then fantastic. Our growers range, which is our sort of everyday range, yeah, it's not a it's not a lay down beer at all. It's drink it when you find it and, and uh, drink it fresh and not you know don't think too much about it. It was interesting when when we uh, at the start of the interview you you mentioned that you know you're five years old, which on one hand doesn't seem um, you know all of that long ago. Um, but on the other hand, you talked about you know little creatures was only just starting to really get you know break out of the the niches and starting to get some uh, broad scale appeal. I'm constantly amazed by the number of people I sort of bump into, and particularly with the advent of social media, how many people are so fiercely passionate and um, you know hold strong views about craft beer um, when you know they they may have discovered it two or three years ago um, at a time when you know. Craft beer bars had exploded, and you know there were huge ranges, you know, much more readily available. Um, Correct. How much? And, and consequently, we've seen, you know, whereas uh, you know beers could, you know, five or six years ago, you could build a brand um, just being, you know, inverted commas, a craft beer, providing a, you know, hoppy pale ale. We, we've already seen the market evolve so rapidly that there is, you know, incredible granularity about, um, you know, you can't just you know, have a generic pale ale. You need to have a pale ale that's made from hops from a certain region, or you, you know, there is all of this. Um, I might stop short of calling it faddishness, but a certain fashionability around a lot of uh, the things that are going on. How hard is it, you know, when you set up a business um, before that really rapid change, um, having the idea that you had about you know, having, you know, vintage to 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 evolve your business as rapidly as the market is going. Um, oh, I mean, it's a day-to-day uh, dynamism of the industry, which is fantastic. Um, I mean, we spend a lot of time with trade and trying to empower them to talk to drinkers, you know, over a bar or in a bottle shop. It's about what 
maybe craft areas because obviously craft uh, has got a fairly ambiguous uh, name to it. But I think, yeah, there's there's people coming out now saying that they do change their recipes every year, uh, which, you know, two, three years ago, people were very guarded about what they were doing with their beers, which is, uh, you know, we, that's where we saw just the opportunity. Let's tell some more stories and, and show that beer doesn't start in a brewery, that beer starts in a field, and that's why there is variability and it's a natural product. So I think uh, there's, there's all, all sorts of things going on. And, you know, as you said, it's, pops have become really uh, popular in storytelling, and we hope that continues. I just, uh, we always maintain that hops need to be balanced with malt. Um, and then obviously that turns into alcohol and sweetness, you know, using the hops for bitterness but also aroma. So I think there's, uh, it's an evolving game, and, yeah, you do have to keep up with what people are talking about and sometimes customise your message, but we'll always stay true to what we do and that's go and uh, speak to farmers, find out what's going on, what's happening in the field and then use hops and, and barley varieties that excite us in our beers and if it turns out a, a beer that people don't like, then at least we've got the opportunity in a year's time to change it again and see if they like that vintage. And looking at the business, you've mentioned Andy, who uh, is is the brewer. Um, there, there's you. Who else is involved in in the business? Um, it's three founders, and now we've got a couple of staff as well. So, um, it's, as I said, it was a bit of an idea. I approached Andy, who I um, uh, knew quite well, and uh, he had done brewing in, his, in in a winery that he worked in. Uh, he's got his own vineyard down in the Southern Highlands of New South Wales, and has been huge in the wine industry. But was at the time working at uh, Fosters and found himself hanging out with brewers at events, etc., and talking about beer, uh, not necessarily always wine. And then approached a, a very uh, good friend of mine who I, I used to sit beside in year five at primary school, and uh, <laughs> he's a uh, he's a chartered accountant and had done some corporate advisory, and um, we'd always you know, wax lyrical on the golf course about starting something, and I, go, I went to him with a beer company. So he, Dan's really helped with the the business structure and finance and, you know, how we grow um, sustainably rather than, you know, run out, of, run out of money, et cetera, et cetera. So the three founders, Andy, Dan and myself, and then we've got also about 35 mates who chucked a bit of cash in at, at the start. Um, we showed them the beer and the interest from the customers at a pub and within five days, we or about eight days, we had enough money to get started. And they've been really friendly, uh, you know, encouraging and, and patient and have put in a little bit more money a couple of times now to sort of fuel our growth. Um, we've all put um, you know, our balls on the line, <laughs> so to speak, financially. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's basically three blokes and, and 35 mates who are trying to live the dream. And I, I guess you must sit back and look at, you know, when Asahi bought Cricketers Arms, um, and think with 35 blokes in, in invested, are they doing it because they love uh, the idea of owning a brewery, or are they, you know, did they see it as an investment and one day you hope to, you know, have an exit strategy of uh, being having the brand uh, being bought out? No, I was 100% about living the dream and owning 1% of the beer company at the time. So, <laughs> yeah, we uh, we basically had parcels of shares and and put the hat around and those parcels quickly got taken up, as I said, by about 35 friends and family. And, uh, yeah, we, we haven't got, we, we haven't said that we're going to you know, aim for a buyout anytime soon. We want to really live the dream and take something, you know, an idea 
through to you know, the first. Like I remember the first time I, I bought my own beer over a bar about you know five days after we launched, and I, I've still got the receipt. That was just a moment to go, you know, we, tri- we started something. Someone's bought it wholesale and then sold it retail, albeit to me. But we, you know, we sold a bit of beer now over five years, and it's really about living the dream. And you know, we do want to open our own brewery. We use contract facilities at the moment, but we're hands-on in those facilities, and we're out there quite often. Um, and yeah, we're looking for a site for our our own brew house at the moment. Uh, there's not, there's still the idea about a beer estate in Tassie. So yeah, we we really sold them on a you know, basically a, a long-term journey, and uh, you know, hope and they've all been very very patient and. They haven't wanted their money back or anything like that, so it's been really, really quite exciting and, uh, you know, to have their trust. The Christmas parties must be pretty good then. Yeah, they just, are. Just, just I mean, to keep them interested. Yeah, I mean, we yeah we, we do have basically, you know, every quarter or six months we try and get them to a venue that's just put us on tap or in the fridge and, and shout a few beers and buy a few pizzas and just chew the fat. Um, we had a, a big, big fifth birthday party. It was basically... I said to the guys, it was basically the first birthday party we could afford. So uh, that was good at the beginning of August, and a lot of the shareholders came to that, and we got a lot of trade along as well who had supported us one time or throughout the five years. So that was a yeah, that was a good party. Um, but yeah, it's it's not all about just drinking beer. We, the one promise we did give them is if it all fell over, and we had beer left in the bonded warehouse, and we were going to have a very big party. So. <laughs> uh, they're hoping that doesn't happen, but that was a fallback position. <laughs> a soft landing or a you know, cushion the blow. So, so um, you, you mentioned that you're still looking at uh, building your own brewery. Have you got plans drawn up for you're just looking for the right spot and you know what you would put in there, or is it find the spot and then work out what we'll build? Yeah, a bit of both. We've got a a model and a you know financial model that we've had people help us develop um, and it all started we found a, you know what we thought was a fantastic spot how would we fit a uh, you know basically a keg brewery and a kitchen and a bar and some seating etc into this space so that really got the ball rolling unfortunately that site fell through and unfortunately a few others have in the meantime but it is a little bit of chicken and egg we do have an areas that we really want to put the first endeavor brew house um, and it's really quite difficult uh, in the current Sydney market to to find a spot and have someone who's patient to us to sign a lease uh, whilst we go through obviously all the due diligence and approvals etc that are needed so uh, yeah we not we do have you know a sort of size um, in mind and it's you know it's, we, we've got a bit of leeway between say 300 square meters and and, and more but uh, we do want to make it a, a fairly uh, cool place to come that you know people can come and see us come and see our story drink our beer and, and make a decision whether they want to go and buy it from a bottle shop or another venue uh, in the future and would the plan be to build a brew house that's big enough to take in all your production in-house or would you still be looking at a you know would you then move to a hybrid model yeah um ideally if we can find a space um one thing we're, we're we're pretty big in bottled beer at the moment. Like it's about 50% of our volume. And so putting in bottling lines uh, of a certain quality that we want to achieve uh, can be very uh, expensive and it also can take up a fair bit of space. So the default is, you know, as small as a pilot brewery. And if, I don't know if you're familiar with, you know, the, the models that people like Paul Pines in Manly have done, etc. 
then the middle ground would be something you know akin to what Temple have done in in Melbourne, and then the biggest would be you know, obviously something like Mountain Goat or or Rocks Brewing have done, and you know try and put in a decent bottling line or a flexible bottling line so we can do different sizes. So we're not uh, we're not focused on just the the very tight brief. We're we're quite open at the moment, and you know, in fact I've got a couple of inspections lined up on Monday that are you know for new spots that we're looking at. I guess that's one of the uh, the issues that people don't necessarily think of when they sit back and you know uh, have a view about what craft beer is or what a pure beer model is um, you know, from a consumer's point of view. Um, there are you know, thousands of little decisions that affect the quality and the availability of your beer um, depending on which model you go. Uh, you, know, you, you talked about you know, bottling lines and quality. It's not just a matter of having a bottling line so you can put beer in bottle, is it? No, no. I mean, it's a very intricate model and Andy's leading the charge on all this investigation around what exactly we're going to do. And yeah, we've got a fair bit of experience of seeing you know, what works and what doesn't. We've used five other breweries um, so far in five years, and you know sometimes we're using two at a time. So it's um, it's interesting to see what will take and fit our you know ambition in the next five to ten years. You know you hear a lot about people building something; it's great for a year, but then suddenly they're at capacity and they haven't got the room to expand. Um, they haven't got the bottling line that'll take more capacity, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, there's a lot of uh, balls in the air for us as to when we actually find a spot. We can find a landlord that's accommodating and will give us a bit of time to get all the ducks in a row, and then we'll put the kid in. So it's uh, yeah, it's it's a moving feast, uh, to be honest. How hard is it in 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 that space where you know you, you do have one of the thing the ideas behind this generic notion of craft is you know small. Uh, cell phone brewery producing their own beer when of course that's not the market you know the uh, beers such as you know the James Squire range and the Fat Yak range come out of some of the biggest you know least independent breweries in the country but the market see, see them as being um, craft um, and then you've got very small breweries that are you know producing beer at a very sort of uh, inefficient in, in a financial sense um, uh, scale um, how hard is it for a brewery to carve out its brand, um, you know, when, when there isn't the one definition of uh, what, what craft beer is, where there isn't, you know, where, where there are all these different models? How hard is it to have your beer on the on the shelf and have the consumer come in and say, I want to choose that over any of these others? Oh, it's tremendously difficult, um, and it's a whole mix of different factors. So. Um, if you look at someone like our mate Carl at Flat Rock, he's got a little 200-litre uh, Braumeister downstairs. He's got a brewer in there producing a batch every day and he puts his own beers by cask, hand pull or traditional keg, um, you know, serves it to his venue. He doesn't wholesale kegs as yet, I don't think, but he's you know, created a nice little business for himself and people want to go to Flat Rock to try those beers, which is fantastic. And then you've got others who... Using just a contract facility, um, you know, using a uh, maybe a family name or something, and you know, it's, it's people do want to actually know a little bit about the product, I believe. So it is about making your packaging stand out, putting enough um, relevant info on that packaging, um, yeah, and, and there's a whole mix. It's I guess what they call a marketing mix, right? So how do you get people uh, to try your beer? It's a range of factors. One thing you've got to do is produce good beer, so at least they'll go. You've got a good chance of them going back to that beer, and you've got a 
sustainable business that will go on. But yeah, there's a whole multitude of factors. You have to be fairly active, I think, at events, um, social media, as we've talked about, and you know, engage with consumers. They want to know more about brands these days, whatever environment it is. And uh, yeah, you've got to get out there, talk, you know, walk the streets, pound the pavement, stand behind bars at festivals, and pour your own beer. So yeah, lots to consider for anyone looking to starting up. That's not a, a just a uh, a shortcut to design a label, find a, some contract capacity and off you go because you will make beer, you might get it on a shelf um, but it might not move to your expectations. And well, speaking of labelling, I mean you guys aren't, you know, you haven't chosen to call yourself after a, a region or, you know, um, portray yourselves as being a you know, a, a consumer-facing brewery where people can come along and visit you. But um, w- what's your approach to labelling? How, what, what statement do you make on your bottles to tell people, you know, how and where, you know, why it's made? Um, well, we talk all, obviously all about the ingredients um, and we put as much information on the website. So we think that, you know, people might on their phones have a look, maybe quickly get on their phone to have a look at that. Um, as per the current labelling uh, regulations, we put our business address on there, well, at the moment it's, it's Andy's um, farm where the, the pilot brewery is. So we, uh, if we were to be approached, or you know, and something I've spoken to Chris at CBI about is, you know, is there a is there a, uh, a voluntary code of labelling that someone can publish that we can all sort of hold hands on, etc. So, and the fact that we use a couple of breweries um, means that it's hard to put on the point of manufacture on our labels because that changes and if we had to change our labels every time you know we'd probably go broke you know the setup fees on changing all your packaging is horrendous um, and you know in the tens of thousands of dollars so um, but if that was a, a mandate then we'd have to reevaluate our business model and see if it was uh, sustainable to do that all the time so um, I'd, you know, I wish someone would come out and say, all right, guys, here are the sort of e-labelling legislations. There are those uh, regulation, those sort of standards in the wine industry. So um, uh, we try and put us, you know, we try not to hide anything. We, we state on our website that we use contract facilities. So um, hopefully people don't think we're hiding the contract uh, brewing model that we use. Um, but, yeah, it's, I guess... If people to put, you know, I saw some some cider action at the moment talking about origin of of uh, fruit that goes into ciders. Um, obviously, there's no mandate to put origin of ingredients uh, behind beer. It's just where it was produced or where it was brewed. Product of Australia. Obviously, that's on all our labels. So, yeah, I don't know that there's a, a clear answer. And you know, hopefully, people don't think that we're hiding behind our contract brewing methods. What is the CBIA's response been when you've approached them about, you know, do they have a, uh, you know, a voluntary code? Oh, yeah. I mean, he said there's obviously an ACCC um, investigation, so they're watching that as, as they do. I think the CBIA does a great job of keeping us informed about what the latest is. You know, I noted that a few breweries were sent letters to have, maybe have a look at their um, packaging. Uh, we didn't receive one of those. Um, so, yeah, I think... Uh, Chris and, and the team at CBI are obviously um, on the front foot and waiting to see what determinations come out of the ACCC. So, 
But wouldn't the industry be best place? It's one of the issues that I've sort of raised with the CBIA before. Is you know, is, isn't this something that, as an industry, you know, they should come out? You know, it's a non-binding code, but they can provide some guidelines to members on what, as an industry body, they think is appropriate. Um, for the for the beer industry, without requiring and you know the you know government regulator to step in um, and 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 act and prescript and be prescriptive, um, do you think that the CBIA you know has has a role in um, setting you know, voluntary guidelines that suit the industry? Sure, I think there's obviously the other brewers organisation which is made primarily up of the bigger brewers. Um, whether one or both of them come out with some guidelines, that'd be fantastic. I know how. You know, thinly resourced CBIs, and they've got a lot on on what they're trying to do and help the industry. So I don't begrudge that that's obviously um, deprioritised amongst other things. Um, so yeah, it, it'd be fantastic when it when it happens, and I know it's on the radar. So just wait with bated breath, and hopefully we don't have to you know change our labels because that'll cost a lot of money. But if we have to, we will. Simple as that. Yeah. And also, I mean, there's one argument that it doesn't really matter, you know, whether the beer comes from Gage Roads in Western Australia under license, under contract, or you know, Brewpack um, on on the east coast. Um, that you know, it doesn't matter what stainless it comes from. But do, do you think it would be valuable having on the label that it's brewed under contract for something, or having a, a positive statement on, on on the label? So, you know, somebody sitting in, you know, Dan Murphy's doesn't have to reach for their phone to make a decision about. Yeah, or to, to to research those sorts of uh, decisions. Oh, I, th- I think there's a uh, quite a lot of questions we could proactively answer. Um, you know, there's discussions about obviously, as I said, the cider game and about the source of ingredients. Yeah, I'd love for someone to come out and say you need to put down the source of all your ingredients because we'd have a fantastic foundation in that we use all 100% Australian ingredients. Uh, then there's questions about ownership. So who who owns this brand? Um, you know, through different levels, and you know, there's parent companies, uh, wholly owned subsidiaries, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'd struggle to find room to put, as I said, 38 mate, uh, 38 people's names on our labels. Uh, it <laughs> look like War and Peace. And then you've got, um, as I said, points of production. And you know, in, if you look at the wine industry, point of production doesn't really affect people's choice of where what wine they're reaching for. I think there's more discussion around source of fruit and then who owns it. Um, so I don't think there's one clear-cut answer, but if someone determines and sits out, sends out some standards, uh, we'll, we'll embrace those and, and look to roll those out onto our packaging. So I was just having a quick look on your website while we were chatting to uh, to just to see what was uh, said on the website. Uh, haven't been able to, to find it. So I'll, I'll move on um, to the next question. Um, you've, you've got a new beer out, the Harvest Blonde. Maybe tell us a little bit about that one. Yeah, it's, um, we had an opportunity to collaborate with one of our big customers. I think collaborative product development is obviously red hot at the moment and most people are embracing it with one-on-one venues. Um, so inviting um, trade or, or owners or managers or bar staff along to their brewery and, and developing a small batch recipe and doing a few kegs specifically for the venue. Um, we got talking to Woolworths and got talking about where the category is heading, um, what possibly limits uh, some of the craft growth because they obviously want to see that um, small supplier better better beer um, has a big future in their business 
and they just said that there's an opportunity around you know fashionability or or lifestyle products. So we embraced that. Uh, what we tried to achieve was a a beer that has a single standard drink in the bottle. So using the mouse, we got that down to 3.8%. We took one of our existing styles, which is our Bright Ale, which won a medal at the World Beer Cup a couple of years ago, or 18 months ago, and we um, basically uh, dialed down the recipe to keep a fair bit of, uh, obviously, flavour and character in that beer. So that's where we landed uh, the Harvest Blonde, and obviously it does have uh, the vintage ingredients like all our beers. It... it, it must be a, a big thing. You know, one of one of the struggles, you know, quite apart from where you brew and how you brew and you know, size of brewery. Um, you know, you, you talked about how small your team is. There's the, uh, the the three founders of which you and Andy are sort of quite involved, and you've got a couple of staff now. Um, obviously, when you go with a very small team, it's very hard to hand sell into some of the niche bars that you know maybe you know have fairly limited uh, beer lists. You, you do seem to be taking the much broader scale approach in getting into the big box retailers and uh, you know getting out through the the um, primarily uh, Woolies, is it? Yeah, I mean we we've um, got a range of customers. I think our active customer list at the moment is about a hundred. So obviously there's two bigger retailers being. Uh, Woolworths and Coles, and we've got beers with those guys, and we have now for um, five and four and a half years respectively. But the two sales guys I've got, and we, and we do have agents um, in Brisbane, Canberra. We've had them in uh, Melbourne and Perth previously about targeting specifically the independents and focusing on keg beer. Um, you know, we're not trying to just uh, tie our wagon to one or two customers because that's obviously fraught with uh, a little bit more risk. Uh, so we do, you know, uh, we've spread out definitely. It was when we started, we only had a couple of customers, and we had a then a national distribution partner um, who serviced the independents. Um, but as I said, 50% of our volume is now keg beer, uh, which is going into a lot of independent venues. And to be honest, they're not the craftiest venues in town. We do target, I guess, mainstream premium venues that um, have got you know one or two independent taps, and we and we try and. Pre- provide them a nice flavour some beer as an alternative to some of the I guess mainstream lager styles that they've predominantly got on tap it, it almost it, it's, I always think it's a shame when you, you said that almost with a note of apology that there's not in the craftiest venues um, th- th- there is a little bit of uh, that about beer at the moment isn't there that you know th- there's like the, the sharp end of craft and everything else needs a little bit of an apology um, I don't know I mean we have a uh, release every six months our seasonal series that we specifically go and talk to the craftier venues about because it much more fits their uh, their patrons or, or style of patrons that walk in the door. So they're traditionally high five percent. You know, we just released our anniversary amber ale, which is a really really dark amber, five point eight percent, fifty IBU. So we do uh, we do try and um, meet the market in several different channels. Um, but we, I guess, we've had a debate you, you and I, Matt, on Twitter about what does craft mean. Yeah, and we don't use craft in a lot of our marketing now. Um, we took it off uh, some of our labelling because we had a bit of a debate about what is handcrafted. So, you know, I, I still don't know what craft is personally. I think Matt, I, 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 it's a term that I've largely stopped using as well because I'm all about better beer. Um, you know, we're a small beer company in the scheme of things, so we. I'd say we're a small premium beer company because our stuff does cost more. 
So that's sort of the the, the, the consumer and the trade go, okay, they're going to cost more because they're premium. Why does it cost more? And we say, well, we go and spend a lot more money on on buying barley direct from a farmer um, and putting more ingredients into our beer than someone else. And they go, oh, you're craft. And we're like, well, no, what is craft? <laughs> we're just we're a small premium beer company and we try and make the best beer we can depending on the ingredients we can source. Mate, what, what's next for Endeavour? Oh, mate, it's uh, got a big summer coming up. As I said, we've got two full-time sales guys in Sydney, Paul and Jono, and they're just doing a fantastic job and having some really good conversations with venues about activating better beer in venues. I think you know a lot of, uh, of our peers probably get a tap and don't sort of think about how we can actually get that beer into patrons' mouths more than, than just looking at the tap bank and going, oh, I haven't seen that before, or oh, I've heard of that, I might try it. So we're talking about you know you getting better beer into things like Melbourne Cup uh, activations and Christmas activations and staff education and all that sort of stuff. So that's the immediate future. Uh, as I said, Brewhouse is a big strategic move for us and we're something we're desperate to land. I mean, we've been looking at it for 18 months, so it's not like we've just started. And in fact, we've done a fair level of research around four venues, which have all fallen over for one reason or another. Um, and yeah, we're just going to obviously head down to the uh, the hop fields and barley fields of Tassie uh, come January and, and February and March again. So mate, we, we're sort of on a year cycle and we keep trying to ramp up that year cycle and yeah, we're growing quite well at the moment, always uh, working with our breweries to make sure that what ends up in the bottle or the keg is uh, reflective of what we, the, the fantastic ingredients we've bought and the the quality is not jeopardised, so just lots on. You know, we would we do want more staff on, and we'd love dedicated full-time guys in each state eventually. But at the moment, you know, cash is uh, is never just falling off trees. You've really got to manage your business and make sure you don't extend yourself too much. Well, Ben Coyman, thank you very much for joining us on uh, Radio Brews News, and good luck uh, not extending yourself too much. <laughs> <laughs> we'd love to. Just a the opportunities. <laughs> Thanks, oh, it's yourself uh, reasonably. Yeah, I will try, mate. We'll try. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. There we go, Prof. Uh, now, there, there was no case of beer because you made yourself unavailable for that interview, so I had to fly solo again. And he's a top bloke too, Ben. Um, um, I've only ever been able to sort of catch up with him at uh, events and festivals and that sort of thing. Uh, so it's always, you know, a sort of a rushed um, kind of conversation, but uh, very generous bloke and, and just one of, one of beer's good people. Yeah, absolutely, and, and they're making some really nice beer. Um, I, I find their beer, you know, um, beautiful. It, it's it's well made. It's interesting. Yeah, um, I, I did speak to him about the um, there was the uh, the, 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 the bright. Uh, what was it? The um, the growers. Is it last year or the year before? 
um, which I said underwhelmed me a little bit, just just from what I I was let, I guess what my thinking had led me to expect. Um, still a lovely beer, but we just had a, a good honest chat about that. Hmm. Well, that's good. But so, yeah, uh... pale and the amber, I'm a big fan of. And they, well, and I haven't tried the new one yet, so I'm looking forward to trying. Uh, no, one. neither have I. But uh, yeah, I thought it was a little bit interesting that you know it, it came about as a result of you know um, the, the the supermarket saying that there was an opportunity um, you know, around that. But uh, you know, I'll let listeners uh, have a have a listen and see what they think. Um, and uh, the, the other thing I liked about that interview was you know whilst I've got fairly firm views about labelling and what's required and transparency. Um, you know, Ben did uh, point to a lot of the the, the considerations around that. Um, you know, and and how complicated and how granular you can make all of the various permutations of uh, you know of labelling. So you know, it, it shows um, that it you know it, it's certainly not an open and shut uh, discussion. But uh, speaking of discussions, uh, we and love feedback. hearing and feedback. We love hearing from our uh, from our readers. So. Uh, Cue the mailbag music. Nothing on, uh, no new reviews on uh, iTunes. So. Please, listeners, uh, as, as we always say, if you listen to us via iTunes, jump on the iTunes uh, and join Girl Plus Beer, Mr. Uh, Sparkle Sparkle Rat, Mikey Z, Titch and others in telling us what you really think. Um, and I'd like to know. give a quick shout out to uh, Anna, who I met up at the Queensland Home Brewing Conference a couple of weeks ago, who listens to us while she um, exercises. So there's another one. So Pia listens to us in the car. And, and yells at the radio and talks to talks back to us. Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, while she's jogging, where her her um, so sometimes we might make her go for a longer jog when we have like two guests on and and we ramble a bit. And I, and you know it might be like that them fighting words, you know, just working out the anger and frustration. That's it. Um, speaking of Pia, um, Pia tweeted uh, yesterday, "Hello to you too at Brews News and Beer Blokes." She was listening to episode sixty six. Uh, episode yes, episode sixty six. Yeah. So uh, hello back, Pia. Um, why don't you give us a call next time, Pia? We would love to hear your voice, and uh, you know, actually, we might even have a chat to Pia, find out what's going on in Western Australia. Could do. Um, uh, so no, right? But we do. I, I notice that people who haven't left comments, um, you know, we've had two and three. Uh, we have had one two star and one three star rating. One of the three star ratings was from Jono Loves Coopers, which was way back in twenty eleven. Um, so he gave us three stars but still set a great source for Australian Brewers News keep up the good work there you mm, go. that was interesting but only three stars but somebody gave us two stars and didn't leave a message so if you're uh, somebody who thinks we're only worth two stars at least uh, give us some feedback about why we're only worth two stars um, beyond that um, let's see we had some interesting uh, we had a comment on our podcast with Martin Cornell who is a fantastic guy um we really we do get lots of uh, interest in the Zythophile podcasts. Yep. Um, Barry Cranston uh, commented, New South enjoyed the Home Brewer of the Year a couple of years ago. 
Yes, and, and that's what we said. Enjoyed the discussion with Martin Cornell. Very informative. I have most of his books, and I subscribe to Zythophile. Or Zethophile, I think it is. It's uh, a void. I thought Zethophile. it was Zythophile, but yeah, we, we did call it Zethophile. It is Zethophile is the way Martin spells it out in his uh, explanation. Um, I would give you five stars for a podcast, Recommercial Brewing in Australia. Um, I, I would give Inebriation Nation five stars, Recraft Beer and Home Brewing in Australia. Keep up the great work. P.S. I was the Barry mentioned. I did a guest appearance on Inebriation Nation where I rambled on about some aspects of home brewing. So that answers your question, Prof, um, of what the Barry was. Or was, was it your question? Or no. There was a Barry reference yeah. last week. Because um, see, Melbourne, oh. I don't know, see, a Barry is a Barry Crocker, which is a shocker. So, yes. you know, somebody produced a Barry of a beer. It could be a Cranston or it could be a, a Crocker. So I'm glad we cleared that up. Barry also got to brew. He, he was the first one, I think. He was the first uh, non-commercial brewer, if you like, to, uh, to brew a beer for Gabs as a, as a prize for winning the uh, Australian... Like he won his state and I think won an Australian title. So he, uh, he produced a beer for Gabs uh, first or second year at the exhibition building. Ah, there you go. There you go. Um, I, know, I know the name. I certainly know the name. I don't... Barry, I'm apologising if we have met. I... I'm sure, anyway, um, but it was great to hear from Barry. Listeners, if you've got something to say, you can uh, give us a call. Um, and please do give us a call. We're getting lots of uh, you know, mentions on iTunes and various other places, but no one's giving us a call on our Skype line. We would love to hear from you, and uh, so would our other listeners, just so people know that, well, I think we've shown that we do have some listeners. Uh, but give us a voicemail by calling 0730401508. That number again. Three zero four zero one five zero eight, and uh, we'll play it on our next show. Um, otherwise, you can you know, jump online, leave a comment in the comment section, tweet uh, tweet us at Osbrews News uh, or any other way, you know, number of ways of uh, getting in touch. Um, Prof, uh, again, lack of planning, haven't thought about who we're going to speak to next week, but we have been wanting to speak to Onyo, um, uh, Onyo Horror. Yep, um, in in Ireland, um, Wine Brewery. That's it. She's, uh, on our, she's on our list. She's on our list. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll Happy certainly get... Happy birthday last week, aren't you? I was also uh, going to speak to the guys at um, uh, Mental Blank. Um, Edit. It's Mel- Edit. Melbourne Brewery. Edit. They're doing... Edit. <laughs> yes. Go on. <laughs> um, Nathan Leoskos. Where were we? From uh, there at Thornbury... Three ravens. Three ravens. That's yeah. it. That's it. Three ravens. So it's because about their crowdfunding um, campaign. You know, we love a good crowdfunding campaign here at uh, Australian Brews News. But they're crowdfunding to set up a collaborative co-working space um, above yes, the brewery. I'm actually, chatting to um, one of the the first tenants um, to put a story together for Brews News about the about the concept, which I think is a great idea. Yeah, because my understanding of the brewery is they started with some engineers who put in a brewery downstairs. Yeah, is... when their when their local um, that had uh, a hand pump closed down, uh, they thought we're not going to take this lying down. Um, Marcus Cox was brought in as the as the brewer, and Ben was the uh, engineer. I think who sort of masterminded it all and said, "Well, let's uh, build our own." And that's uh, that's how Three Ravens kind of in a nutshell started. That's the yeah. So has it now gone that the engineering firm upstairs is no more, and so the brewer brewery is now 
putting I, something in yeah, upstairs. I think the engineers have moved to bigger premises um, because originally when when Three Ravens was kind of for sale, was kind of closing down, was what was happening, there was a bit of flux there. Um, it was, I think, because the engineering or the, the landlord or whatever was wanting to redevelop or the engineers were wanting to move and that sort of thing. So I think it's just come full circle. Some, there you go. Somewhat like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's quite interesting. And um, on whilst we're talking, uh, and of course, crowd we should funding. point out too, Matt. Just given the theme of today's of today's show, how we kicked off is that, that Mash uh, in WA owns, or, or, sorry, Three Ravens is part of the Mash family. Yes. Yes. Which is interesting. I hope of it's itself. okay for everyone. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Best beer is the one in your hand, people. Yep. Um, the update, the other update is tipping for taps, which is the NOLA Adelaide from an earlier podcast. They're up to thirteen thousand three hundred fifty dollars. That's not bad. Looking out of fifteen grand, they're aiming for fifteen grand. So eight days to go. So yeah, um, go back and have a listen to that podcast. And uh, our like phone's a man now. Phone in now. We'll read and we'll double the, you know, double your pledge if we read it out on air. That kind of thing. Let's let's see him get to fifteen thousand. Yeah, that'd be nice. Um, but then again. The people will decide. But, Prof, uh, mate, great chat. Um, we've probably taken up enough of their time. Um, that, Nana's uh, had a good run. He has yeah, done all the deliveries and whatever else she needs to do and needs to park the car now. She does. The, the train's pulling into Central. That's it. Um, listeners, as Mash always, thank you very much for, for your calls and letters and postcards and, and just for, for listening to us ramble on the way that we do. Um, join in the conversation and uh, look forward to chatting to you again next week. How's this, Prof? We've been frighteningly regular we've had one or two missed weeks but we're doing pretty well yeah yeah Let's we need to up. thank Lockie. Yeah, very much so who's he's going to the, play he's us. the the grease in our cogs he is, actually he is. probably closer to the cogs and we're the grease yeah or we're, we're the sand no, no. in the yeah, yeah we're the sand <laughs> <laughs> love your work Lockie. play us out one two three four <laughs> And we are out.